Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mouse Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaron. What is up, guys? And I am also joined here by our new co-host, Rodrigo. He has recently joined the podcast with us amidst a flurry of, um, I Off guess, Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of Twitter DMs, and um, there, could, there could have been tampering. We don't know. But nonetheless, <laughs> he is here. And Rodrigo? Today we're going to be covering, of course, the Mavericks 130-122 loss to the Atlanta Hawks. But before we do that, of course, we're going to have Rodrigo introduce himself here. Um, this is his sort of uh, intro to the podcast. And Rodrigo, I guess, kind of uh, talk about what made you interested in doing this and what was the starting point of your Mavs fandom? Yeah, no. So, uh, well, first off, uh I guess most people would know me, um, or if if you if you do know me at all, um, I am on 105.3 The Fan as of uh, the beginning of this year, so in January. Uh, so in February, I'll have a whole month at The Fan. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, kind of get some reps in while I'm also kind of uh, getting getting to start my, my work over there at the fan and, and, and things like that. And, you know, I just, I saw your guys's podcast and, and, and listening to you guys, it's kind of one of those things where I, I was 100% interested in, in, in joining you guys and kind of helping you guys, you know, make this podcast the best it possibly can be. And I was always looking for people to, to, to either join up with and, or start my own, but it kind of never really, went my way so it was one of those situations where I, I i said all right well these guys they got got a little bit of a little bit of a following going on so let's see let's see what we can do together and i'm i'm, I'm 100 happy to to be a part of this now and um, i'm just really excited to get to get get started as far as my mavs fandom goes that kind of stretches back to about i want to say about 2010 2009 ish a little bit before excuse me a little bit before the championship year of 2011 and I do remember that uh, championship run very very well I remember uh, being at my car uh, or being in my car excuse me being in my dad's car um, and we went to a uh, like check cashing site we were listening I was listening to the Mavs game on the radio that was the Lakers 4-0 sweep Uh, and and it was just it was just such a I mean to, to see a team in my own city go as far as they did win the whole thing and just kind of, you know, put the city on its back. I mean, it, it was something really nice to, to see. And, and, you know, I'm born and raised in, in, in Dallas. Uh, well, actually, excuse me, born in Georgia, raised in Dallas. And, um, and yeah, no, I mean, you know, just since then, uh, 2011, again, followed the championship run, uh, followed uh, Dennis Smith Jr. When he was here, I've taken my little brother to a couple games here and there. Um, and then, uh, and, you know, just obviously a big fan of, of, of Luka Doncic and, and what he's doing here in, in the DFW area. So that's, that's pretty much, I guess, the whole story within my fandom. I, I don't know if I missed anything else. I guess no, one of my I mean, other favorite I mean, players is JJ Barea because he's so short. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah, no, I was actually standing up to him. We're like very uh, comparable heights one time when I was um, actually at a Mavs game one time and I was walking on the uh, 200 level. And he was, this was, I believe, post-playing career. It was either a year or two ago. And he was doing the post-game with Bally Sports. And uh, me and him were like eye to eye. So that, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, yeah, uh, some of that sort of stuff regarding the championship, uh, that's an experience that me and Jaron, you know, really don't have, you know, ingrained into the data banks, you know, down, you know, back in our cerebellum and at the end of the brain. We don't, we don't have that experience. Uh, you know, we were both really young at the time. And of course, that's sort of what catalyzed my Mavs fandom. But that's definitely, you know, I, I would be lying to you if I said it was like a centripetal part of it, because it was just so so long ago, right? Um, but yeah, no, I mean, 
Rodrigo, you know, we're really happy to join uh, that you're joining us. Of course, we're excited. We're pumped. Sometimes it just takes a few things to materialize together. Right. And regarding, yeah. you know, you had some, some stops at some, on some other teams, you know, had a few 10 days and things didn't really work out, <laughs> uh, but now you got to start. Now you got to start a job. Uh, it's, it's very like, I mean, I think a great simula- similarity that we could compare this to would be like Christian Wood uh, trying to earn his starting spot on the team. Right. It sometimes it just takes a few things. Life has to throw you a few curveballs before you can reach your end or not your end goal, but you can, you know, reach that goal that you're trying to get to. And, you know, in this instance, we had, you know, Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, both of those guys had to be injured before Christian Wood could even get a starting spot. And, you know, look at him now. Now he's blossoming into a near all-star level player. And I mean, I think I really do think that that's the sort of acceleration that you could have with your role over here at Mainstream Mass. So we're really excited to have you. And we're really excited to cover this game with three co-hosts now. We're going to get into it. This 132-122 loss to the Atlanta Hawks tonight. A very lackluster defensive performance by the Mavericks. But before we do that, here is an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, guys. So getting into it here, you know, just to sort of take a step back and kind of look at this game just from a sort of overarching perspective. Um, Rodrigo. What did you think of this game really from start to finish? Um, it was a game where the Mavericks did have a lead for, you know, a brief period there in the third quarter and, you know, I believe parts of the fourth quarter, but it never really felt as if it was in their grasp. They constantly kind of were playing catch up to the Hawks and were kind of in this just um, basically high intensity um, sort of shootout, like, almost like football when everybody's just constantly getting a touchdown on every single drive. I mean, it was very much like that. What do, um, just, I mean, in terms of the start of the game, what, how did everything start to materialize for the Mavericks in terms of um, how, you know, they were able to really furbish their themselves on the offensive end and uh, what kind of downfalls did we see on the defensive end? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's just been kind of the same old story of, of, of the entire year with with as far as defense is concerned, rim, rim protection and things like that. Uh, the Mavericks and the end of the game uh, ended up with 21 total defensive rebounds and 10 offensive rebounds and, and in total uh, had 31. Uh, as far as the Hawks are concerned, they had 28 defensive rebounds and seven offensive rebounds and that, that totals up to 35 for those of you who aren't very math uh math savvy i'm i know i'm definitely not but um it's it, it's just very very telling it that you know when a team can or can't pick up uh, defensive rebounds uh you know it, it, you can definitely it, it's it's almost very telling that 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 this that, you know that this team is very very high powered as far as offense is concerned and and the worst part about it is you know they they took the the lead for the first time in the game and around like the 8 minute mark of the third quarter uh, so, you know, and, and, and again, they also opened up the game with, you know, three total turnover or three turnovers in like the first couple minutes of the game. Um, normally I don't like to bash Luca cause he's just really good at what he does, but he contributed to seven of those. And that's, that's, that's again, something that, that the Mavericks need to really look in, in, into uh, and, and, and slow down. I think is, is one of those things, just slow the pace of the game, play at their own pace and, and get the shots and get the looks that you want because the Mavs shot 38%, a little bit, a little bit over 38% from the three point line and, and 52% from the field. So again, it's just about looking, getting those looks that you want and, and, and the, the shots up, uh, you know, with the right spacing and, and, and the right offensive look and defensive look, it just, it, 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 it needs to, everything kind of just needs to work out for this team just for, for things to click in general. No, like 100%. The Mavericks are obviously one of the more slower-paced teams in the NBA. That's something that's really been prevalent for them and sort of a hallmark of, you know, just their team since the beginning of the season. And in a game like this, I think that when they maybe try to up the ante, especially when the Hawks are running early, uh, guys have a tendency to maybe get a little bit sloppy. I, I think that there might be something there, right? And, you know, we saw time and time again, especially in that first and second quarter, I just, I mean, simple, like rudimentary inbound passes were getting botched. Atlanta was getting out in transition, you know, 
especially when you have, you know, two lead guards and Trey Young and DeJounte Murray running the floor, they're able to, you know, really dissipate and either they have really good spacing in transition. The Mavericks are going to be hard pressed to be able to get back. It's going to lead to a lot more open three. So we saw in that first half how the pace of play was definitely haunting the Mavericks to an extent, right? They were kind of in a sort of, you know, not in a sort of cliche way, like they were getting run out the gym, right? So they kept up with them fairly well. Yeah. Like in in the second half, I I thought that the Mavericks really did turn it around. But in that first half, um, you know, just like in terms of like the flow of the game, I I thought that, you know, the the shot making was there on the Mavericks side. It was more as if like, like I, like I alluded to earlier, like they were playing catch up, right? Like it wasn't as if, they were, you know, putting their foot in the ground and like, okay, like we are here to, you know, plant our foot and win this game. It was more as if like, you know, we're, we're conceding uh, all these baskets to Atlanta and let's just see if our scoring can make up for it. Yeah. You know, to add to that uh, Atlanta defensively, they were blitzing Luca pretty much as soon as he crossed half court. I think that, you know, in terms of just being energetic and having some energy, Atlanta did a really good job of doing that and starting out the game with it. But as you said, I mean, uh, literally the first possession of the game, DeJounte Murray yeah. off the jump ball, he uh, got a steal off. I believe it was Dorian, Dorian Finney Smith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, I mean, that was kind of emblematic of the game just in terms of like, you know, the Hawks um, really taking lead in the Mavericks. I mean, not looking lackadaisical to an extent, but there were points in that first half where, there was some sloppy basketball being played, especially, you know, how you alluded to the ha- them having 16 turnovers in this game. They're typically a low turnover team. That was not the case tonight. No, I mean, I, I want to say they had uh, had like 12 by halftime, uh, and that's like their average per game. Um, I know like a lot of that was due to, again, like I said, the Hawks just blitzing pretty much at half court. Uh, but even still, I think that you have to have guys in there that are comparable uh, to sort of that four on three scenario. And we just didn't really see that. We saw the ball rush out of Lucas hands a lot of times. And that's really what led to a lot of these stupid turnovers. Yeah. Well, you, can and, almost, you can almost forgive. Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I, I was going to say, you can almost forgive Dorian Finney because he's been out for a good chunk of time, you know, and and he maybe wasn't expecting that from, from what well, you, you mentioned. It was uh, DeJounte Murray getting the steal mm-hmm. uh, to open up the game there. And, and you can almost forgive Dorian Finney Smith. I, I think Luca, Luke is one of the best passers in, in the game. He, it, it's You can't really debate it. He's, he's definitely one of the best passers in the game. So the fact that he contributed to seven of those 16 turnovers, it, it, it definitely, it's telling. It, it really is telling. Yeah, like, so you say it's telling. In what way is it telling? Like, are you kind of basically alluding to him maybe, you know, being so burnt out at this point in the season? Is that what you're or do you or use just of, more so telling in like how they lost the game a little bit of both actually um you can you can definitely attribute that to the way that he, yeah he's, he's burned out he's, he's been used i mean he scored he managed to still score 30 points tonight and almost managed managed to get himself a double double i think it was like two assists away from getting a double double um the burning out for sure is definitely is the first thing that i can kind of think of at the top of my head I think just the other thing too is just the lack of other playmakers on this team. I understand you got Chris, you have Christian Wood. Christian Wood is definitely a playmaker in his own right. Spencer Dinwiddie uh, is also very, very good uh, and very smart playmaker. Um, DFS maybe once he gets the rhythm back in because he played 35 minutes in his first game back after an abduct uh, an abductor uh, 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 injury. So, I mean, I, I don't think he should have been played that many minutes. I think he should have been more on a minutes restriction, just like Josh green was, um, and, and maybe give a little bit more of an opportunity to Reggie Bullock, who, who oddly enough has been really hot as of late. He has 18 points and he had had 18 points tonight in 36 minutes. So again, I, I, I think players like him for now should be getting the start or at least sharing a good load of the minutes alongside Dorian Finney-Smith. No, yeah. And I mean, uh, a point about Josh, I mean, like you maybe think that they could kind of supplement both of those guys' minutes between each other as they're both coming back from injury, you know, kind of split it up a little more even keel. But that, to your point, they did kind of throw Dorian right into the fire there. I kind of want to get into Trey Young and his effect upon this game because it wasn't as grand, I guess, as 
we would typically probably, you know, foresee it being in a game where the Hawks scored 130 points and the Mavericks lost, we would probably project Trey Young to have some sort of 30 point haymaker or something like that. Um, but he, he more so picked the Mavericks apart in the pick and roll and the Mavericks bigs in Christian Wood and Dwight Powell. But I mean, largely Dwight Powell for throughout stretches in that first half when Christian Wood got into early foul trouble, we're just very hard pressed to be able to play the pick and roll correctly. Um, they had a heart, you know, there's a sort of art to being able to play the pick and roll as a big um, to, you know, play in between a sort of hedge and a drop where, you know, you're in that in-between area, but you're still applying enough pressure to that lead ball handler to where he can't just go straight up for a floater. Um, but, you know, he also, you're also just far back enough to be able to not concede the lob and sort of remediate the situation to where, you know, they have to pass the ball back out and restart some other action. Right. And we saw in this game, the Mavericks big men just getting torched. It, they seemed as if their timing was off, like one possession they'd hedge, come up on a screen. Sometimes they'd switch outright and then they would just get blown by or, you know, they would try playing too back. They'd play too much back and they would concede a floater to, you know, young, or they would leave the lob pass up. Then it got to a point where it was so bad in the third quarter that the Mavericks had to start rotating uh, one of their guys who was camped in the corner on maybe Collins or Bogdanovich at points, you know, any of those guys who, uh, when these actions are being ran for the Hawks in terms of their pick and rolls, are just standing in the corner as the outlet guy, uh, just in case the possession goes haywire. And the Mavericks were having to rotate those guys over, and Trey Young was making the right read almost every time, finding those guys for open threes. And the Mavericks seemed like they were just basically getting picked apart in that sense. He had 12 assists. Is there any fix in terms of the personnel on this roster? I guess I'll start with you, Rodrigo, that the Mavericks can do to mend this situation. Yeah. I'm, well, I, I, well, first, the first off, I, I did before I wanted to get into my answer on your question. Um, the the box score will tell you a lot about how the Hawks are much better at this point in time even though they're one game above 500 now at this point, since they picked up their 23rd win tonight, you can tell that the Hawks are better constructed by the box score just by looking at it. Because you had eight of nine, eight of their nine players that touched the floor at all this uh, tonight had double digits. John Collins, Okongwu, Hunter, Young, Murray, Griffin, Capella, Bogdanovich. All eight of them had uh, 10 plus points. At any point, at, 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 by the end of the game, when you look at the Mavericks, Dorian Finney had nine, Powell had six, Bertans had three, McGee had three, Green had nine, Hardy had two. And again, I'm going to forgive Green and Finney Smith specifically because, again, it was their first game back. And they should not, specifically, again, Dorian Finney Smith should not have been on those, on the amount of minutes that he, he was on. To answer your question, I think the one thing that the Mavs can do to, you know, be to be better, I guess is, is, is the best way I can put it to be better is, is those rotations. I mean, the, 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 and the minutes distribution too just needs to be a little bit better balanced because yes. again, the fact that it took Dorian Finney Smith coming back and having, having to put up 35 minutes on his own in the first night that he's back is ridiculous. It, that shows that the Mavericks do not have any forward help and that they need somebody like Dorian Finney-Smith to produce constantly. He had a plus-minus of, of minus one. So, again, he, he, he contributed but couldn't contribute enough to yeah. make more things happen. He was one of six from the three-point line. So, again, it, the Mavericks need help. What way you get it, whether it's trades or whether it's signing somebody, it remains to be seen, but, you know, and, and the Mavs have been linked to, to plenty of players who, who can fill those positions um, and, and play those, play those roles and, and help the Mavericks out. But it, it, it's just a matter of finding the right fit around Luca and, and everybody else really. Yeah. No, so I, I think, I, I think adding to that a little bit, just in terms of how this roster is now, I, you know, they are sorely missing a Maxi Kleba on this team. Um, yep. Just with how, often the Mavericks would, you know, could, they would, I guess, just divert to one or the other, whether it would be um, pretty much attacking the ball handler on the pick and roll, or just simply dropping uh, and letting, you know, Trey Younger is most, most of the time, Jante Murray just uh, hit a floater. Um, I think that 
the Mavericks lack of personnel, you know, as you said, you know, they just need to make a trade and everything like that. Um, it definitely doesn't help the team or do, definitely doesn't help, uh, especially when you're playing such a great, I don't know about great, but, you know, you have John Collins. He's one of the better rim rollers in the league. Um, even, you know, Capella in his right, he's he's definitely one of the better guys uh, doing that. Akunwu, you know, he can grab pretty much any board uh, need be. And so with that, he just has such good hands. But, I mean, there's just so many guys on this roster, as you said, you know, it's a roster construction, everything like that, that just do the right thing whenever it comes to, in particular, just the pick and roll. You know, so many guys can hit a floater. So many guys can, you know, lob. Uh, and of course, roll rim or uh, roll to the rim, and uh, of course, slam it. But like, sorely missed is a rim protector, um, and I think that's you know the big need because you look on this roster right now, the only quote unquote rim protector is Javale McGee, and this guy's playing three minutes a game. So, yeah, no, I definitely think that there's credence to the fact that the Mavericks rotations could be crisper, as you alluded to, Rodrigo. Um, I, I do think that that's really the only fix right now in terms of this personnel, like the Mavericks do, you know, they can sort of fill in the gaps, uh, as much as they can in terms of, you know, applying consistent effort. There's, there's times, right. Where I think Spencer and Luca in particular, uh, they have a tendency to get lost on, like they have spurts of like really energetic and, you know, really good on ball prolific defense and then it's a possession where they just choose to take off whether they're up by a lot or you know it's just a second out of a back-to-back things of that nature I think filling in the gaps in terms of being a little more crisper on your rotation especially with the guys that are seen as quote-unquote bad defenders you know like a pal a Dinwiddie or a Doncic even if you know amongst Mavs fans we can see that those guys are you know it's sort of game dependent on if they're a good defender or not um like the, the as perceived by national media, those guys are probably, you know, getting labeled more like average or bad defenders. Right. So they can kind of fill in the gaps there maybe as much as they can, but to a certain extent, like you said, Jaron, everything does come down to personnel at at this juncture and the Mavericks simply do like, just to put it quite frank, they lack probably one or two solid perimeter defenders to, you know, uh, be added in, in terms of, you know, being included into this rotation and they definitely lack a rim rim protector, probably more so than anything. I mean, I posted that poll on Twitter today asking what the Mavericks most pressing need is between a rim protector and a, you know, and more perimeter defenders. I think that's definitely a conversation to, to be had. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would probably choose rim protection. It's sort of up in the air, but you know, when we do our trade deadline podcast and, you know, we'll have a, a couple podcasts, really honing in on trades and things of that nature that the Mavericks could pull pull out um, before the trade deadline ensues. We're going to go in, get into that. Like what is a certain archetype of a player that the Mavericks, you know, sorely need the most, whether it's a ball handle or a rim protector, things of that nature. Right. Um, but, you know, specifically in this one, the Hawks bigs between Colin Okongwu and Clint Capella combined for 46 points tonight. And, you know, I know that they do have a sort of nice little conglomerate of big men there, and they're all kind of diverse in terms of their skill set and very distinct in that nature. But, I mean, that is a – for a position that isn't as coveted in today's NBA, uh, barring this sort of transcendent uh, all-world centers like an Embiid or a Jokic, that is conceding a lot of points at the rim. And especially for a lot of those guys – um, you know, but outside of three Collins three pointers, a lot of those are via those guys literally just camping in the dunker spot, or you know maybe a, I mean that's basically where most of it came, and literally just you know rolling hard waiting for the lob, or camping in the dunker spot off you know missed rotations and the Mavericks getting all mangled up in terms of their defense, so them just getting a wide open dunk, and I mean very few of those points were three pointers, maybe a few from Collins and couple transition buckets but you know a lot of that was just simply mishaps from the Mavericks and I do think that that you know that points even more so towards the Mavericks needing both you know better perimeter defense and better rim protection right and is it an indictment upon the Mavericks you know rotation guys that they're not able to do it like you said Rodrigo Dorian Finney-Smith he's a guy that's just coming off an injury he's obviously probably going to get blown by a little more than if he's you know complete 
you know, holistic, ready to go DFS. So let's not, you know, we can save a little bit of blame in terms of him. Dwight Powell, especially in those lineups with Christian Wood, where, you know, one of those guys is having to guard uh, a size down. That hurts them a lot. Um, They can get blown by pretty easily. Dwight Powell has a stark inability to be able to flip his hips on defense. I was on full display tonight. And then Dinwiddie and Luca, um, they honestly looked like they were missing a ton of rotations, in my opinion. I thought Dinwiddie, he was tasked with guarding DeJounte Murray tonight. He did a mildly okay job throughout the first uh, few quarters. I actually tweeted as much. Um, he was really definitely forcing him into those mid-range scenarios. But then once DeJounte got cooking, um, he was really – it was more so a matter of I'm going to get to my spot and you're not going to be able to do anything about it. And quickly we saw those mid-range jumpers that Dinwiddie was conceding quickly turn to um, basically being almost like a layup because of how hot DeJounte Murray got, you know, just in terms of uh, furbishing his own offense from the perimeter and with inside the arc, right? Um, so then we looked to the bench and Reggie Bullock, he had a sort of weird start to the game, but once his offense started, really flowing and he started getting the ebb and flow of that his defense uh kind of worked parallel with that and we've seen this from him from him where he has sort of a trend to be able to follow up good offense with good defense but there have been stretches this season where his offense is really bad then his defense also sucks as as well you know josh green i thought played a really good defensive game when he was tasked you know having to guard murray and young in stretches but at the end of the day he only played 20 minutes you know we Maybe, you know, you could have thrown him a bone, give him a few more minutes in a game like this. But then again, he's he's coming off that right elbow sprain. So I kind of just deciphered their rotation tonight. And we look at this and they if we're counting Josh Green's minutes, you know, he played, um, you know, he really the only two guys that play 20 or more minutes off the bench were him and Reggie. And, you know, Josh really just didn't get near as much burn as the, you know, the starters and all that sort of stuff. So if we're really breaking it down, the Mavericks kind of had like one and a half guys of decent defense in a sort of sense tonight. And I mean, it, it just points to them needing a major upgrade in both perimeter defense and rim protection because they're just getting blown by. They're missing rotations all too often and they don't have anybody to hold down the paint when those mishaps happen. Last year's team comparatively they had a great perimeter defense top five in the league after um, the turn of January, of course, they didn't even, they didn't have that rim protector and that ended up haunting them when they got to the Western conference finals. But they, we do have to realize that they did have a really good rotational defense, even if all the guys weren't as, you know, talented, you know, statistically in terms of their wingspan, in terms of their verticality and lateral quickness, they had a sort of spirit and invigoration um, to really get after it on that end, that this team this year, for whatever reason, uh, very similar personnel just doesn't have. Um, so, I mean, next up, um, after we kind of really broke down and picked apart their defensive woes tonight, what was going right for the Mavericks tonight? Because, you know, we do want to hash out some positives, of course, amidst all these, you know, defensive negatives. What were they doing right on offense? Right, I guess we'll start with you, Jaron. Um, you know, particularly with Luca at the point of attack, um, you know, he was getting double teamed. There were a lot of four on three scenarios. How are the Mavericks able to score 122 points in this game? Yeah, you know, really, truthfully, I mean, the way Luca was doubled at the point of attack was just so aggressive that it pretty much took two of the Hawks defenders already out of the play. And it was like a true four on three. We didn't see any guys, you know, try and come back and help. Um, the Mavericks offense was just so quick, I guess. And this was honestly like the first, one of the first games I feel like of the season where, uh, it's, you know, I know that you said that you said it, uh, like towards the beginning of the pod where it just kind of felt like the Mavericks were trying to just keep up with the Hawks, uh, and doing so they played really fast paced on the offensive side. Uh, I mean, again, they scored 122, which I believe, I know they had 123 against the Blazers, uh, at one point, but Needless to say, I mean, it was just sort of this four on three scenario where, you know, you see Christian Wood get it at the top of the key. He drives down uh, and usually there was an open shooter at the corner. And most of the time it was Reggie Bullock. Uh, props to him. He, I think he made four of his seven shots from deep. Uh, yeah, he did. So I, I think, you know, more or less, it was just sort of this fast paced sort of offense where the Mavericks kind of got uh, like they found the open shooter just through hockey assists and passing it around the horn and everything like everything like that. Um, the points that they did get inside and that they, you know, did 
very rarely form inside um was uh like pretty much just finding uh, either Christian Wood on an ISO situation where he got, you know, he was able to score on a Konwu or Collins. I think those were like his two main matchups. Uh, we even saw really, I mean, the only guy that could kind of score inside was Christian Wood. Uh, truthfully, we saw, you know, of course, Luca find his rhythm uh, throughout the game. Um, he was able to, uh, you know, I think it was definitely a lackluster game, one where he was sort of taken out of it. Uh, but even still, he was able to find his rhythm throughout the game. He got to the foul line quite a bit, I think 12 times uh, in this matchup. But even still, you know, the the points that the Mavericks did find inside was just due to, honestly, ISO situations. I didn't, you know, there was, of course, the few pick and rolls here and there, but I didn't really see anything out of the normal um, in terms of, like, how the Mavericks were scoring inside outside of, like, Luka ISO. And, of course, I think we saw a little more of Christian ISO, uh, to be honest, in this matchup. Yeah, uh, as well as I think Spencer, had, they actually deferred to him quite a bit. You know, we've been talking on this podcast the last few episodes about how we thought Spencer was sort of losing the title of like that distinguished secondary lead ball handler, right? And, you know, amidst this whole stretch of Luca just essentially going God mode, Spencer has kind of been lost in the sauce a little bit. He's been playing a lot more off ball, uh, a lot more complimentary. Which, I mean, as he should, you know, as a, the, the quote-unquote secondary ball handler. But at the same time, he is a guy that needs to alleviate some of the, you know, pressure from Luka. And, I mean, I thought he did a great job attacking uh, what the defense gave him tonight. He was shooting, you know, he was shooting the heck out of the ball. He had a few threes um, that were, like, pull-ups or just step-backs. You know, I was like, wow, like, it was some of those, like, no, 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 yes shots. But, I mean, he's been shooting so good from three this year. I was really impressed with his game tonight and how he was able um, to really just diagnose mismatches. And then he, he always has such a good sort of pace of play where he's able to, you know, he gets a big switch onto him, you know, kind of takes it back out. That's when we saw in that first half when he had that dunk over Okongwu, when he got him switched onto him, he, he sort of dribbled back out and was like, okay, you know, obviously I got a big on me now. I don't need to rush this. I'm going to give him the hesitation um, and whenever he bites, um, I'm going to go, but I, it's not something that, you know, I just see him and get all happy and go lucky and go straight to the rim. Right. So I think that that definitely aided in, you know, amidst the Mavericks scoring 122 tonight. Um, but also, you know, within the waning moments of the game, the last like five minutes, the Mavericks offense did seem to stall out a bit. So we'll go ahead and get into their woes here in a second. Rodrigo, what what kind of went wrong for the Mavericks in those last few minutes? They had they'd, they'd been having such a good offensive game. What started to give? Do you think it was just sort of a momentum swing by the Hawks, and they were able to just sort of take lead from there? Yeah. So I mean, I think one of the biggest issues down the stretch for the Mavericks, and it's it's happened multiple times this season. This isn't just an isolated uh, scenario or situation. Basically, what happened, I think, was that the Mavericks started jacking up a bunch of shots and and just kind of you know getting desperate i think that that was that was the big thing is that uh again it was a back and forth affair i don't think the need for those desperate shots was was needed um in in the box score uh the the final numbers for the fourth quarter was the, the hawks won that quarter 32 to 25 um uh, the Hawks won every quarter outside of the second and the third quarter. They tied the second quarter 25 all. Uh, and then they lost the second quarter. The Mavs won the, the, the third quarter, excuse me, 35 to 33. And it, in large part, it was due to that 10-0 run to start the second half. I mean, they started off on a, on a 10-0 run and it looked like, you know, the, the Mavericks were, were, were going to begin to run away with it. But something happened, whether it was... A, I, I can't really recall in the moment right now, whether it was defensively or offensively, but it was, it was just something happened in that 10 0 run became a, a momentum switch for, for, uh, for Atlanta as well. Um, so again, it, 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 it just really came down to, to desperate shooting. I did want to touch up on something real quick from, from the previous segment. Um, one thing that I, I can admire about a player like Dwight Powell. Um, and I, I remember um, Mike Bassick, who's on the fan, mentioning this one time is Dwight Powell is one of the hardest workers in the league. 
he's not particularly good at anything, but he's one of the hardest workers in the league. And I, I adore that take from Mike to this day because it's, it's, it's true. He, he may not be particularly good at something, but he is one of the hardest workers in the game. And he will put up 22 minutes of, I'm going to throw myself for the ball. I'm going to die for it. I'm going to like, you know, I'm, I'm going to bleed for this team down to the last minute that I'm on the floor. So Quite I, yeah, very true. But, but yeah, no, other than that, like I said, what, what really out, uh, what really did the Mavericks or hurt them at, at the, at the end of the game was just getting desperate and jacking up shots for any reason, really. Yeah. No. And I mean, to, to your point about Powell, like regarding the sort of indictments, like when I, you know, talk about his defense or something of that nature, it's never to discredit him in any manner for like the things that he does for this team. At the end of the day, uh, Kirk Henderson, Maz Moneyball podcast, he actually talks a lot about, you know, his experience because he played as a rim roller when he was in high school and rim, you know, to his point, rim rolling is a very hard skill uh, to sort of, you know, especially, you know, all these limbs going everywhere. You're trying to circumnavigate through the the lane. You know, these NBA players, obviously they're really fast and a lot of by, bodies flying everywhere. And, you know, you're diving to the rim to try and catch a ball over all these people. Like it's not an easy attribute. I don't really care how tall you are. And, and Dwight Powell is, you know, consistently, in the 99th percentile almost year after year in that, you know, category. I mean, sure, it's went, it's tailed off a little bit this year. You know, Christian Wood has got more of those pick and roll scenarios with Luca as of recent, but that's not to take away from the, uh, the things that he does very well and the attributes that he possesses as a basketball player that, you know, bode very well for this team, you know? So by no means are a lot of these guys on the Mavericks, if we look at Dwight Powell, Dorian Finney-Smith, like Reggie Bullock, none of these guys are particularly like, I mean, bad players by any means. I think that a lot of fans' gripes with them are more so that they're one-dimensional. Like you said, Rodrigo, like they're just, they don't have a sort of diversification of their skill set. Like, you know, uh, Dorian, you know, every once in a while, you'll see the occasional um, attack off of a closeout. I mean, even with Reggie tonight, we saw him attack off a closeout for a layup. Um, but, you know, they're basically, for the most part, like strictly three and D players. I mean, there's little elements that they do well outside of that. Like Dorian's a good offensive rebounder. Um, you know, Dwight Powell, he is also like a good offensive rebounder. Um, he's always good at like being in the right position, great hustle player. But, you know, they they definitely stick to their archetypes of like Dwight Powell being a rim roller, like these guys being three and D players, right? And I think it's the sort of um, – you know, desire from a fan perspective to get that implementation of more diversity within the lineup, right? More guys that can do a lot of things like on the Hawks who have eight different players and double figures like DeAndre um, Hunter, for instance. Yes. Like, you know, he's a very, you know, esteemed three and D player. That's essentially the hallmark of his game, but he's a guy that does have some sort of pseudo offensive creation abilities to him. Right um Bogdanovich he's not I mean he's definitely I mean honestly kind of more of a point guard at this juncture than he is a shooting guard kind of how he came into the league he's been able to really harbor his playmaking abilities over the last couple years uh AJ Griffin I mean this guy's a rookie and you know right now he's more of a catch and shoot three you know three and D guy but I mean even him he had a few like sidesteps and uh, a few times where he um drove to the rim that I was, um, you know, admittedly kind of surprised by. And then of course, like you have two very dynamic ball handlers and Trey Young and DeJounte Murray to be able to really facilitate things and lead things at the point of attack. And I mean, especially in guy in Murray who does all that on offense and still one of the best guys really defending, uh, you know, ones and twos in the league, the, the Hawks, we obviously talked about their record being 23 and 22, not being near as good as the Mavericks. Uh, well, not near as good, but not being yeah, as I mean, they're good. About, as the they're Maver- about as good as the Mavericks. Yeah, about as good as the Mavericks. Yeah. I kind of just botched that there. Um, but they, you know, we look at the sort, and I'm, I'm not going to dive too deep into this, but we look at the sort of stark difference between just because Trey Young had a year or two where he was not able to 
really lead his team to the playoffs and Luca really only needed one year that bought the Hawks a little time to acquire the necessary draft capital to really get this thing uh, going. And I mean, GM Travis Schenck has done a great job, great job, um, you know, surrounding that team and Trey Young with very contributory uh, role players who are not one dimensional. Right. And yes, they've had their problems this year. There's been some beef with Trey Young and McMillan. They haven't had their full array of players and, you know, they've definitely been limited in that in a sense. And there is maybe some underlying chemistry issues there. We don't really know what's going on, but this was a game for one of the first games. They mentioned this in the ESPN broadcast that this team was fully healthy. Right. And we saw the depth of Atlanta tonight on full display. And conversely, we saw how limited the Mavericks rotational depth was compared to Atlanta. I mean, the Hawks had, you know, some guys like Justin Holiday got a DNPCD on the Hawks tonight. He would play real, like real rotational minutes on this Mavericks team. I think yeah. that we can say that without a shadow of a doubt. Same as probably Aaron yeah, Holiday. Um, and I mean, these are guys that are not even registering minutes because this Hawks team is so deep. I mean, that Jalen Johnson kid, uh, he's really Kaminsky. Then hell, he he would even get yeah. some, get significant minutes on the Mavericks. I did want to pose a question to the two of you guys, um, and and we could e- either start with Will or Jaron. Um, do you guys think that Spencer Dinwiddie is more of a Jalen Br- of a mature version of Jalen Brunson? You go ahead and go first, Jaron. Um, mature version of Jalen Brunson? I don't think so. I think you know what we're seeing Jalen Brunson do in New York is just really um i don't know it's indicative of who he is uh spencer dinwiddie to call him jalen brunson is definitely like a harp on his game i don't think he is i think he's filled the role as best as he can uh and that's saying a lot i think he's done an amazing job uh but to fill you know the jalen brunson role or to say he's a mature jalen brunson um i just don't think that does him justice because at the end of the day i mean they're two different completely players the way that they score the ball the, the way that the way that they defend um I mean, the, the demeanor that they have about the game, it's con- all different. Um, to me, you know, it was always just coming into the season, of course, it was always a big question was, you know, is Spencer going to fill the Brunson role? Um, has he done that? I think, you know, you can put an asterisk around it. I think he definitely has. He's done, you know, as best of a job as he can. Uh, but just that the way that, you know, Brunson gets his points is, you know, just kind of, I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, he just like dribbles the clock out, but not dribbles the clock out. And he just hoists up shots and puts it in. Um, with Spencer, you know, he methodical in the way that he can get to the hoop sometimes. Uh, you know, we've seen him have his doubts getting to the hoop to where he kind of just relies on a fadeaway. And, you know, of course, we've seen most of those be misses, but also Spencer can operate in the ISO um, and just get, you know, his usual step back threes that he does. Um, I, you know, I just think, to call him a mature Brunson probably doesn't do him justice. I think uh, Spencer, especially on this roster, how it's built, is probably more equipped on the bench more than anything. We just, you know, we don't have the luxury to put him there. Uh, he's a guy that has to start with this current rendition. But needless to say, I think he's done as good of a job as he can or as good of a job as he has done um, filling that role. And that's such a big role to fill. And I think he's done, honestly, a really good job of uh, however you want to call it, you know, secondary playmaker or Jalen Brunson role, whatever you want to call it. I think he's done an amazing job. Yeah. I mean, I think you summarized that really good, Jaron. I don't know how much I can add to that. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, in just in terms of how they operate offensively, we've obviously seen not, I mean, I, I guess you can call it a maturation from Brunson's time in Dallas to where he is in New York. Now. I mean, he's put up like multiple 30 plus point games in a row. He's on an absolute tear right now. Right. And we, you know, we try not to talk about Brunson on this podcast too much. Like, obviously, we'll allude to the the whole offseason thing. But, you know, to an extent, like it is in the past, you know, he is in New York now, right? But I do think that, like, stylistically, they are different. I think Brunson has grown into probably a better, like, well, Spencer may, I don't even know what the, their assist numbers are, but I don't. I, I would presume that they're probably like not too far off, but I, I definitely think they're different yeah. in terms of how they operate as playmakers. Spencer, I think is more of a ball mover. He, you know, when, when tasked to run a pick and roll, he, he can definitely do it, but he's definitely a guy that 
is more like I'm going to get to my spot and set you up. Brunson's more of a guy that I can see really leading the charge and like, I'm going to deliver this pass to you in this place. And, you know, so you're going to be able to, the, the basket is going to kind of like um, be sort of hand woven and presented to you. Right. Like that, if that makes any sense, just in terms of how they're getting guys shots, like Brunson's more inclined to, you know, throw a lob pass to a guy. Spencer's more inclined to draw a double team and then pass to a wide open shooter. Okay. So there, there's that. And then they, they obviously have their, there's different intricacies and just in terms of how they, they operate offensively. Brunson's a lot more like stop and fake heavies using a lot more, um, using a lot more of like his like lateral quickness to operate with inside eight feet, um, using his pivot foot to his advantage a lot more to, you know, get those little close fadeaway shots and stuff. Spencer's more of the type that's going to, you know, really try to pick apart a mismatch and, if you're a smaller guard, he's going to post you up. If you're bigger, he's going to just try to blow past you and continuously draw fouls. Uh, Brunson's definitely like more of a tough bucket getter, quote unquote. So yeah, there's like the different intricacies. I, I think the player that I think Brunson, I will say as much was definitely on the Ascension. And I think he would have took yet another leap as we see him do with the Knicks um, versus Spencer. I think he's at this stage in his career where he's like in the prime of his career. Right. And he's a very solid secondary ball handler, but I don't know if he still has – I don't know if he really had the room to grow that Brunson had. I, I do. I really do think to to an extent, as we're kind of seeing with Brunson in New York right now, like Mavs kind of did have a second star in their hands, and um, it, it looks like more as if that prerogative is growing true and true every day as, as he continues to um, carry away in New York Knicks Dome and uh, maybe not really lead them to wins. Uh, they, they're, I don't know exactly what the record is. I, I think they have a better record than us now. Yeah, they have a better record than us? Uh, I believe so. It, we've been going through a back and forth with the Knicks on, like, records. It's kind of funny. That is 25 funny. and 20 is the record yeah. for the Knicks. Oh, oh I stand we... corrected. So, uh, he's... <laughs> yeah. yeah, we dropped. Yeah, I did uh, I did not realize how much this little stretch has done to us amidst losing these last three games. Um. So, yeah, I mean, with that being said, I mean, Nonetheless, though, they're like, okay, they're of the same ilk of the Mavericks where they're like in that yeah, yeah. sort of right above 500 territory or slightly, you know, above 500 territory or whatever you want to call it. Right. And um, I mean, for them to be doing that with him as essentially their best players is definitely indictment upon how much we miss them. I, I definitely would say that without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, no. So I, the only reason why I was kind of uh, mentioning that or, or kind of, you know, alluding to the fact that they could be uh, cut from the same cloth, if, if I want to use that analogy, is just because I see I see a lot of, of Jalen Brunson stat lines. And then I look at I look at, at Spencer Dinwiddie stat lines and I'm like, they're not too horribly dissimilar. I mean, yeah, right now, the average points per game for Spencer is about 16 points per game. Uh, as opposed to uh, JB, who has uh, a, a much, much better average points per game. He's averaging about 22. Uh, and, and, and when I when I didn't say that, you know, Spencer is a more mature version of Jalen, is it's just because, again, obviously Spencer's older. Yeah. But then again, just, just turn to the fact that, you know, um, uh, I think Spencer, in my opinion, is a better three-point shooter than Jalen. Yeah. But Jalen can get to the get to the rim a little bit better than Spencer. So like I, I there there's a little bit and in my eyes there's like a little bit of like a little bit of each other in in each other for lack of better word. I, I know that that sounded so wrong, but no, no, I, I get what you're saying. There's <laughs> there's different aspects of their games that I think we see come out more in different games. Like Spencer occasionally will defer more to that three that three pointer Brunson. Um, you know, he's obviously going to try to get to the rim more, but at the end of the day, they do feel the same role as being that guy who's second fiddle next to Luca. Um, the only sort of sacrificial lamb there that the Mavericks don't have that they had last year was they don't have that third guy. And that is where the call for another ball handler is, right? You don't have Spencer to come off and fill that void anymore. You have this sort of interesting conglomerate of Jaden Hardy, Frank Nilekina, and you know, Theo Pinson and somewhat Josh Green, whenever, if, if you're really just heavy, heavily, heavily pressed to 
get another ball handler in there and you have to kind of force his hand there to run some point guard. So, I mean, that that's the big difference amidst all this. Yes. Like they're, you know, slight intricacies um, between those two guys in terms of how, like exactly how they play, but Brunson, I think at the end of the day, probably contributes to winning is probably a slightly player, a slightly better player than Dinwiddie. I don't know if Dinwiddie could go to that Knicks team and do what Brunson is doing right now. Um, to just to be quite frank with you, but um, you know, to my point, like if Dinwiddie was relegated to the third option here, you know, just imagine how how lethal this Mavericks team would be this year. Uh, it's it's a sad discussion, but you know, we we don't want to dread too much. Of course, was there anything else just in terms of guys that played tonight? You know, we talked about Dorian. We talked about how effective Christian Wood was and isolations tonight. Um, and just in terms of, you know, really being that outlet um, when they had Powell on the floor uh, and Powell was the main facilitator of the four and three Christian Wood was doing a great job hitting his threes. He's doing a great job running the floor, getting in transition. He had a great offensive game. You know, his shortcomings defensively were kind of hit or miss in terms of his pick and roll coverage, but he had a great offensive game. You know, Dwight Powell, I thought he hustled well and, you know, played his role to a T in the minutes he was there. He just obviously struggled defensively. Um, Spencer, we obviously alluded to Spencer and Luca and how good they did. The Mavericks bench effort tonight. Um, let's talk about Josh Green. He had a great game in his return tonight. Nine points, of course, only 20 minutes, but you know, he hit that one three from the corner. He had a, he did a really good job of um anytime that he caught the ball off a dribble handoff at the top of the key. Um, when there was a lane open to attack, I mean he went with full force and you know, sort of a bludgeoning sense of I'm gonna get to the basket and uh, get a foul called and I'm going to get to the free throw line or I'm going to, you know, make a tough layup. And, you know, he had a few layups uh, virtue of that. He had a really nice dunk and I thought he played pretty active defense. Uh, were you, how surprised were you guys surprised by him playing this good on his first game back? Uh, you know, I, I think honestly, I, it, it felt weird because we hadn't had that sort of energy on this team for 20 games or whatever game, amount of games he missed. Uh, so it was definitely a little bit of an energy booster and it felt good, uh, but it was definitely different out of the norm from what we, you know, come accustomed to seeing. Uh, but just the way that he was able to keep some possessions alive was just huge in this one. Uh, I know that there was two times, I think, where he was able to like sort of hide uh, behind players and like keep possessions alive just by pickpocketing or pickpocketing and uh, even inbounds pass. I think he stole an inbounds pass one time. Uh, just the, the way that he was able to do that uh, keep possessions alive, sort of bring, you know, as I said, energy to this team. Uh, it was really different, really. Um, I, I wouldn't say different. It's just what he does. Uh, but from what we've seen over the last like 20 games, it's definitely more of a outlier. Um, and I, you know, I think it was honestly refreshing to see uh, him come in, provide such big minutes, even offensively uh, in just 20 minutes, he provided nine points off the bench. And that was really huge for the, the effort that the Mavericks gave. And whenever he was in, it, sound, it seemed like the Mavericks were, you know, fully forced. Uh, there was one lineup that I really, it was in like the halfway through the second mark uh, that I really want to see more of. And it involved Josh Green in it. It was like Josh Green, Hardy, uh, Luca, Spencer, and then Christian Wood. Uh, I think that, you know, offensively, that's a lineup that you can really, really work with, especially in transition. Uh, and that's sort of what I wanted to see out of it. We didn't get to see a whole lot because again, I mean, Hardy only played like four minutes in this one, uh, but that's a lineup I want to see a little more out of. And really, you know, the heart of that lineup and the heart of pretty much the lineups that he's in is Josh Green. No, hundred percent. So, oh, real quick. Uh, uh, so Jaron, real quick. I did, I did want to ask you. Um, so with that lineup of Jaden Hardy, Spencer, Luca. Uh, and who who else did you say was on the floor with that one? Uh, so yeah, Spencer, Luca, Wood, Hardy, and then um, Green. Wood, Hardy, and Green. Who who is playing the forward spots? Yeah, this, and that's look that that's what you're missing. Uh, you have Christian Wood. You have I think Jane Hard or uh, Josh Green is probably your most forward type guy. It's definitely a defensive exploit. Uh, but the thing is, is you can run the offense with it. I know the Mavericks like they probably rank dead last in transition offense and just in terms of speed. Uh, but this is sort of a lineup that you can use, you can exploit uh, offensively. I know defensively it might be a little bit of a hamper in the half-court offense, but I think if there's any sort of speed, uh, you know, and the Hawks like to run with speed, 
So I think, you know, you can buy time with that lineup. Uh, again, we didn't get to see it a whole lot. I would like to see it more, but yeah, it definitely defensively is where that hamper is on that lineup. But I, you know, it was, so, it was just such like a, a refreshment, just something different uh, that I would like to see more of it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, you obviously, I mean, I think even within operating in the half court offense, that lineup works well. I mean, you have three guys at that. Well, I mean, four, if you want to count Josh and his sort of pseudo creation ability, four guys that can like really blow past somebody off a single dribble blow by and get to the rim. And like the sort of dynamic dynamism that can persist out of that is um, really intriguing, especially with Woods inclusion there being, you know, relegated to running all those pick and rolls and, you know, just waiting in the dunker spot. If all those guys are able to, you know, get past the first wave of defense and then, you know, start that domino effect where they're just passing it around until it, reaches wood at the rim like that there's some there's a lot of different possibilities offensively they're obviously very undersized defensively and that's a very heavy reliance on wood to really be uh you know that stronghold down there as a rim protector and you know really josh is the only quote-unquote positive defender on the other end um but I, I mean during stretches where things get stale i would like to see that lineup a little more i'd like to see a little more hardy minutes you know um outside of that you know, I thought Reggie had a very good game today. We talked a lot about him. His defense definitely correlated to his offense when he's once he started to get going. You know, admittedly, I thought his defense was kind of abysmal within that first half, but he shot four for seven from three. He had a few really good cuts, which was I, I was really surprised by. That's something we really only see when his offense is uh, really in sync. And he had a few nice cuts. Uh, there was one possession where Josh Green attacked from the baseline and got it to him. I was I was one of my favorite possessions of the game, and Reggie. Uh, he had cut from like the opposite weak side wing and he went up for the layup. And like, I was uh, really impressed by that. That caught me, uh, sort of took me aback. I can't even lie to you. Besides that, um, you know, he had a really good shooting game, you know, that that's, I think that we've kind of covered it all from that standpoint, you know, just a really, a really sort of uh, concerted offensive effort from the Mavericks. And, you know, they were definitely able to, get things going and there was a lot of different actions that they sort of went through throughout this game um you know with those different lineups on the floor you know in the non-luka minutes i was you know pretty readily impressed by how they were able to score you know we saw some josh green you know obviously drives to the rim some reggie cuts like things of that nature like i was impressed by those actions but then we saw the offense kind of get stale and then defer to isolation ball at the end of the game. And obviously we, that whole segment about the defense kind of sums it up in itself, just in terms of how much abysmal it was in this game. And uh, the Mavericks do move forward and they play the Clippers on. Okay. I keep, I said this in the last <laughs> podcast too. I keep having this sort of complex that the Mavericks are playing the Clippers next. I, it's always the Clippers next. I don't know why, but nonetheless, Mavericks will be playing the Heat at 6.30 on Friday. We'll be back, of course, for coverage on that podcast. But we do want to get in one quick thing before we end this podcast. We don't have time to talk about this Mark Cuban quote that we had originally planned to talk about today that came out with Nick Mc, uh, Tim McMahon in regards to the Mavericks upgrading the, the roster and Lucas sort of discontent with the current roster. We're definitely going to be getting into that. And that's a huge topic of discussion when we get into our trade deadline podcast. Uh, that's definitely something we do want to talk about, but there was a Jason Kidd quote post game that I kind of want to get into. This was Jason Kidd's thoughts on the Mavericks defensive woes. If it's with this personnel, you have to, and I'm quoting him quote, quote, if it's with this personnel, you have to keep asking or demanding for those guys to play defense. It's not just the offensive end. And tonight, again, we gave up 130. The team shot 57%. It's just like shoot around. What were y'all's thoughts on Jason Kidd? Sort of like actively kind of um, really, to not like throwing shade, but definitely kind of, you know, sort of a call to action from these Mavericks players uh, at, that, at the beginning when he says, if it's with this personnel, kind of alluding to them possibly needing to change their personnel in some sort of fashion. What did you guys have to make of that quote post game by Jason Kidd? Roddy, you go ahead and answer that. 
Yeah, no. So, I mean, really, it was it it was the kind of it was similar to the to the kick in the ass moment where with uh, with Luca from last season, where he asked Luca to uh, play play better. Essentially, is what he asked him to do. He's like, you know, I I yeah, last season, you know, J, J Kid asked asked Luca to you know play a little bit better defensively and show a little bit more effort on that on that side of of the ball. Uh, that 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 resonated or that that quote was very very similar eerily similar in my eyes to that quote uh from that that jk uh told luca basically during the presser um and you know it's it's also kind of a call to action to the front office if you really want to think about it because he's basically holding up the exact same sign that Luca's holding in the in the picture that Mark Cuban hates so much, and and that's send help. That's give me help, give me more to work with, because he does not have enough to work with in my eyes, to, you know, make this team the contender that it needs to be, that it should be, and and, and you lose a key piece in Jalen Brunson, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, uh, not just in this podcast, but outside of the podcast, the fandom, everybody else has talked about this ad nauseum where we've lost somebody that can contribute and is, was a key component to the Mavericks reaching the Western conference finals. The Mavericks, what they need to do is go out and get somebody that, you know, can, can put up 16 points, 15 points on a consistent basis, not just be 16, one night, three, one night, 15 in the next four, the next one. It it needs to be a consistent and, 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 you know, I sent you guys my notes at the beginning of the show. The Mavs have been linked to 10 different players. And I I'll, I can go down the list and you guys can tell me if, if, if each one of these players would would fit the, the 16 plus role that that I that I that I'm mentioning. Cam Reddish. Probably not. No. Trey Young. Yes. yes. Bojan. Yeah. Yeah. Bradley Beal. Yeah. Sure. Terry Rozier. Yes. Yeah. Zach Levine. Yes. Emmanuel quickly. Mm, maybe mm-hmm. one day, not now. Yeah, I'll say, yeah. <laughs> He's working there. Yeah. He's getting there. Mm-hmm. Karis Levert. Yeah. Yeah. I I I like him. I personally like him. I'm I'm there. I'm He's there. comparable to TSJ. He does have some inconsistencies. So I I don't I, I'd probably go no on him. I I I'd, I'd hedge no. But John I'll Collins? Really yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go no. I'm gonna go no. I mean he showed yeah. out tonight. Uh, okay, so when you're saying a consistent 16 points, for me, no, John Collins always plays great against Mavericks. He had a hell of a game tonight. Valid. But I'm looking at more along the lines of, like you said, they're getting you at least 16 every night, not right. more as if they average 16. Like if they can, like if they, like you're talking about guys yeah, that's that fair. 100% players, right? That's kind of what Brunson was. That's what he grew into. Didn't what he yeah. still has the occasional dud game. That, that's, that's why structure. he's more kind of well suited to be relegated to the bench at some point if we're ever able to get to that that guy. The, the second best player doesn't necessarily have to be a star. I think that would be preferred next to Luca. Yeah. But if we're talking idealistically, the second best player needs to have a level of consistency that is, you know, emblematic of a guy that is like a top 50 player in this league to an extent, right? That he's not just going to you know, oh, score 25, but, oh, I had a bat, and I just took the day off, and I only scored seven the next game, right? It's it's like these are 100% players. So I think if a couple of those guys on that list, particularly like Levine and Young, like the 100%, like those are guys I'd love to play second fiddle to Luka. A lot of Mavs fans have the tendency to sort of pick their poison and – start being like, oh, like we can iron out fit with this guy. Like I'm, I'm down to talk about fit all day. We can talk about who's a better fit next to Luca. But at the end of the day, to get any of these guys, Rodrigo, the Mavericks have to accumulate asset wealth. And at right now, the Mavericks wealth creation is kind of on, you know, the level of me with my entry level jobs. And, you know, the <laughs> me working at like a restaurant at 20 years old versus the esteemed entrepreneur, Mark Cuban type level, like they don't have any sort of wealth creation right now. Like, um, you know, they're, yeah, they're I mean, they'll have to give up pseudo... a king's ransom for 
They'll have yeah. to give up a king's ransom for for any one of these players. The last player on my list is DeAndre Ayton, who who the Mavericks have been linked, who have been linked with this season. I think he would be a number two, even though we're not talking like I, don't, I didn't know if we were kind of like talking about guards or center specifically, but yes, I, I would say he's a number two. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different talking points, especially with that quote, just defensively and everything like that. Um, any guy that you listed there, uh, you can make work within this rotation, of course, defensive rotation, that being. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, the, just the current rendition that this Mavericks team has, like you just can't you can't expect great defensive numbers. I think they rank 25th uh, in the league right now. And that's I mean, I know that they just got two of the three best players back on yeah. the defensive side of things. But even still, I mean, this is a roster that's well mismanaged. Uh and I well mean, mismanaged that is like the <laughs> penultimate juxtaposition to describe the Mavericks yeah I well mean mismanaged I like that. <laughs> no and it's it's just um yeah I mean I know a lot of people who say this Nico Harrison has his uh checkbook cut out from the summer so we'll see what happens um but needless to say this offense or this uh defense is just especially the last three games has been just yeah awful. yeah no we're definitely going to be getting into like all these sort of guys and the idealistic fit with the Mavericks and Luca. We'll get into Mark Cuban, who is writing Nico Harrison's checkbook or, or not writing it at some point in the near future. <laughs> We're going to be getting into all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, Mark Cuban's going to be here regardless guys. So we can, we can decipher the ins and outs of his role as an owner all we want, but we still have to, operate under the assumption that he's the owner of this team because unless something tragic happens he is the leader at the clubhouse at dallas mavericks llc um but nonetheless today uh today it was great having you on rodrigo for the first time really excited about our um the future stuff that we got going over here at mainstream mavs thank you guys for listening if you made it this far in the podcast Make sure to like and subscribe and comment if you're listening on YouTube. We are Mainstream Mavs Podcast at YouTube. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Mainstream underscore Mavs. If you guys are listening on any other platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Anchor, make sure to subscribe and follow us and give us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. We really appreciate you guys um, making it this far in the podcast. We're really excited about um, the ascension that we're about to take with you guys. We really um, do think that, you know, now that we got three co-hosts, we're, we're ready to grind and uh, really get through this season and more seasons to come with you guys. So we appreciate you guys for listening and we will catch you guys Friday night after the Mavericks versus Heat Wait, game. Be, before we turn this off, Roddy, you got to get a like signature send off real quick. A signature outro. Oh, make it up on yeah. the fly. All right. See ya. There All you right. go. Okay. Now so you I got mine. Bye-bye. <laughs> there we go.